Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Uh, before uh, the blessing, <laughs> I'm just saying that so you guys don't panic and think I forgot you. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> which I never do, of course. But um, we have a special guest this morning that I'd like to introduce, and uh, Pastor uh, Deo Gracias Moshi. And Pastor Moshi, would you stand, please, Deo? And his daughter, Glory. And I'm no linguist, but I think that means thank God. And uh, we're, thank the Lord for your ministry. He uh, uh, has, is the pastor of Gospel Herald Ministries in Marangu, Tanzania. And they're visiting uh, the U.S. and North. They'll be around for a month uh, to learn about culture which we're praying that they don't learn too much, you know, uh, that, makes, that makes me nervous. But, um, but they're learning about culture and our ministry and youth ministry, so that's why I kept you guys here. Uh, and uh, just wanted to introduce them and have you welcome them, and we are so glad that you're here. Thank you. Okay, that said, I'm going to invite our students to stand, and we're going to bless you and... Um, send you to your classes. You need to stand quite so excited, but it's okay. I'll get over it. All right. Would you join me, adults and parents, in this blessing for our students? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now, Lord, we do pray this blessing over our students that you would use this time, Lord, that you would be their hope, uh, Lord, that you would be glorified in their lives. We thank you for them. Thank you for their leaders and their teachers. Bless them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. See you guys. See, somebody's sad. Early with me. Hey, um, we're, we've got a little series, a little mini-series that we're starting this morning. It's going through the month of September, and really there's two primary uh, parts to it, and it is explore truth and experience grace, that we're going to look at this whole idea of grace uh, and truth. Uh, the, this Sunday is explore uh, truth, and then right in the middle, next Sunday, we have a great opportunity, a dear friend, uh, whose name is Tom Schrader, who's been a pastor in the valley and leads, uh, leads Bible studies for business people all around the valley. He's going to be with us uh, next Sunday, and then the following Sunday, we will finish up with uh, Experience Grace. So we've got uh, hopefully three weeks of God really can speak to us and, and a great time. Um, I, you know, everything in me will say we have three fantastic weeks, but then you'll be the judge of that uh, when I'm done today. So uh, we're going to start this morning with this whole idea uh, of explore truth. Exploring truth, looking at truth, truth was a big deal to Jesus. And, and you all know that truth is, uh, truth is a challenge today because we have different ideas of, uh, of what truth is. Everybody wants the truth. Everybody wants to know the truth. But one of the, the big challenges is that today, if you talk about truth, you might hear somebody say, well, that's truth for you, but that's not truth for me. Or I have this truth and you have that truth. And, and how, how can you have two different truths? 
truths. That's kind of confusing to me. If it's true, it's true, right? And, uh, and yet today there's a lot of confusion around this whole idea uh, of what is truth. And so we want to explore this because we know that it was important to Jesus and, and everything that we do centers around Christ and it centers around who Jesus is. John the Apostle, the great Apostle, uh, in his book, uh, said in the very beginning that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's John 1, that he's referring to Jesus, that Jesus is the Word, that he's the ultimate expression of God. Jesus talked about that uh, himself, and then John tells us in John 1, 14, that this, these words, and the Word, referring to the Logos, the ultimate expression of God, became flesh... And he took up residence among us. And he was filled with grace and truth. That he was filled with grace and truth. Was Jesus the truth? Absolutely. But he was also grace. And there are oftentimes that those feel like uh, to us that, uh, and, and I get this occasionally, you know, people will say, wow, you know, Pastor Larry, he's a nice person, but he's way too far on the grace side. And he really, we really need more truth. And then I have people that feel like, wow, you know, you are so hung up. You know, you're so much on the truth side and you need to talk about grace. And, and, and so it's kind of like, a, you know, I could get dizzy if I just tried to keep up with all of that uh, because everybody has this idea, are we too grace-based, are we too truth-based? And, and somehow Jesus held both of those things in tension, that he was full of grace and truth. The, the picture I like is a, a, a kite. That in order for a kite to stay in the air, it needs tension. You have to have a string on the kite. You have to have somebody holding that string. And that's what creates the tension that keeps a kite in the air. And when we take things like grace and truth and we hold those together, it creates a tension that challenges us to take a good hard look at both of those. That what does it mean to be filled with both grace and truth? Because that's who Jesus was. That's what the embodiment of Christ, that he was filled with grace and truth. But it's gotten confusing. I was reading an article by a, a, a man named uh, Dr. Stephen Garber, who's a fellow at the Washington Institute, the think tank, and he's written a book called um, uh, Visions of Vocation. He's a, he's a follower of Jesus. He wrote this book, and in this book, he describes this woman that he met in his studies, who uh, has started this thing. In fact, she, she became aware of something that was going on in our country and around the world uh, of women and young girls who were caught up in the whole sex trafficking thing, that they were being uh, uh, sold as slaves and, and put into that life. And, and it became so overwhelming to her that she began to study and find out and write about it. And Harvard picked up on what she was writing and they invited her to be uh, joined, uh, something that they wanted to do. And it became part of the uh, the Kennedy Institute of Ethics in Washington, D.C. And so she became uh, one of the people, one of the spokespeople uh, of the Kennedy Institute and through Harvard on this whole idea, they created this group called the Protection Project. The Protection Project to try to help rescue these young women and young girls who had been sold into slavery, who'd been caught up in the sex trafficking. And, and she said that because... 
it was so powerful, and because it was connected with this Kennedy Institute and, and Harvard, and it was in Washington, D.C., that, that when she uh, put out applications for interns, she got the best of the best. She got these amazing young people who were applying to be interns at the Protection Project, and, and that they would come in. And, and then she begins to tell Dr. Garber her story. She says that, that but almost always, she said something, the same thing would happen, that she would get a knock on her door, and one of these bright young people would enter with a sheepish look on their face and begin a conversation that always would begin with thanking her for this amazing opportunity. And then uh, she says, and I quote, but they would always say this, but who are we to say that trafficking is wrong in Pakistan? Isn't it a bit parochial for us to think that we know what is best for other people? And then she adds, why is, it, why is what is wrong for us wrong for them? that she was amazed, she was so frustrated. She said, she said this, she said um, that I, was, I don't have time to answer the question anymore because the problems are so big and the darkness is so dark. And then she said to Dr. Garber, do you know what I need? She said, I need people who believe there is basic right and wrong in the universe. And that's what she was having trouble finding. People who believe there are basic right and wrong in the universe because we've confused this idea of truth. Uh, that we've confused what's truth that, that, that we're not quite sure anymore. And these kids were growing up, these bright, bright young people were growing up with no compass, no place to point them to truth, no, no compass to point them to what was right and wrong. So they were floundering, they were trying to figure it out, but, but it, it, it meant to them that, well, what's truth for me may not be truth for somebody else and how arrogant it is to impose my truth on, on them and they're lost. They're lost at sea and trying to find out, trying to figure out what to do with their lives and, and, and where to go. So we're gonna talk about exploring truth this morning and what it looks like to explore truth. And, and here's, here's sort of the thesis for this this morning. Um, we're gonna look at Jesus. Because if we wanna know about truth, it means we should look at Jesus to discover how God acts in the world as a divine incarnation of God's love and mission. Jesus exemplifies the way of God in the world. He was with God, he was God in the beginning and was sent to the world, not only to tell us about God, but to demonstrate for us how God wants us to live. And there are too many consequences. It's too important not to be clear about it. So we're gonna talk about this this morning from John, the 14th chapter, the first six verses. And here it is. Let me give you a little context. Jesus is with his disciples. It's the, the night that he's uh, betrayed, the night that he's arrested. He's had supper with his disciples. He's been telling his disciples that the time has come that, that he is going to be betrayed. Peter's been hit with that you know, fastball that he is going to betray Jesus. The other disciples are wondering if Peter's going to betray Jesus. What, what are the, what's happened to the rest of us? What, what, what's going on? We've given our whole lives to Jesus. We've left everything to follow him. And, and now he's telling us again, this is about the third time he's told him that, that he's going to be betrayed and that he's going to be falsely accused and, and that he's going to be beaten and, and then he's going to be killed. Uh, but the story's not done yet. And they're thinking, no, we really, we know you said that, but we really didn't think it was going to happen. 
I mean, we've heard the stories. We've seen all the miracles. We know what you can do, Jesus. Why, why would you let that happen? So we knew you were saying those things, but we really never, it never felt real. It never really felt like it was going to happen. And now we're at this point of no return. We're now at this point. You say it's really going to happen. And it's hard to get our minds around it. I don't know about you, but that's happened to me before. I, I know that Jesus says, hey, there's going to be suffering. I know that there are challenges in life, but, but I kind of think, okay, but I'm one of the good guys and I'm following Jesus. And so this stuff's all going to work out. And then when I get hit in the face, uh, it, sometimes it's hard for me to wrap my arms around. Oh, but, but Lord, I know you said this, but I didn't, I didn't really think my life was going to be like this. I didn't really think this was going to happen. And, and that had to be how the disciples felt a little bit. And so in the context of that, Jesus has these beautiful words for his disciples. He begins it like this. Let not your hearts be troubled. You guys, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in the Father, believe in me. Here's how it begins. The disciples are in turmoil they're afraid, they're confused, they're frustrated. They, they don't know what's happening next. And the words that Jesus says to them is, let not your hearts be troubled, you guys. Just, just relax for a second. Think for a second. Take a deep breath. Because you, you believed in the Father and you also believe in me. Trust me. Uh, you, you don't completely understand what's going to happen, but can you trust me? Isn't that the story of our lives, that, that we find ourselves in places in our lives where we have no idea what's about to happen? Uh, we don't know how this is going to turn out, but Jesus' words ring to us, do you trust me? Do you believe in me? And let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in the Father, believe also in me. And then Jesus goes on to tell them that, he says, uh, in my Father's house are, are many rooms, in my Father's house, there are many residences, there are many places, there are homes for you, there are places for everybody, it's big enough for everybody who will come. In my Father's house, there are many rooms, and if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So right away, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in the Father, believe in me, trust me, because I am going to go to a place that has lots of room, room for everybody. I'm preparing a place, and I will come back and get you so that you can be with me so that you will be with me for eternity. That's what's going to happen. That's how this is going to finish. That's the way that all of this is going to end. Jesus is telling his disciples with authority, with confidence, this is how it's going to play out. And then in verse 4, he has this really interesting statement. He says, and you know the way to where I'm going. And God bless Thomas. He says, nah, not really. Uh, maybe we sh I should, but I don't... I don't know. I don't know how to get there. I don't know where you're going, Jesus. All of this has been theory up to now. Now it's becoming life. And what do I do? And, and, and Jesus doesn't just, you know, kind of bring the hammer down on him and, and he doesn't act exasperated with him, but Jesus simply says this to his disciples. He says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. Wow. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one 
comes to the Father except through me. You, you know, for some of us, that might, some of you, it might feel like an audacious statement that Jesus is making, that I am the way, that, that I'm the truth. And, and you know, the language here is that Jesus is saying, it, it's, it's strong language. He's saying, I'm the only way. I'm the only truth. I'm the only life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. And that's the, that's the problem with truth. It's true whether we like it or not. You don't make truth go away by saying, I don't like that. Truth is truth. And Jesus made a claim that he was the way, the truth, and the life. And now if it's gonna, if it's gonna ring true in our lives, then Jesus is gonna have to back that up, isn't he? And you know what? He did. He went to the cross. He rose again. He gives us life. He's changed the world as we know it. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by him. Now here's the beauty of it. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by him. That, that brings up questions to lots of people. How does he do that? I mean, how does that, what about people that haven't heard? On and on and on. Here, here's the thing that, that I know. If Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and I believe him, I trust him, then there are certain things in my life that I leave to him, that I trust him with, that I know he, how much he loves the world. I know the truth of the gospel. I know that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and I don't have every single answer to all of life's questions, but I know I trust him, and he is the way. So the first thing that Jesus says to his disciples is that he uses this uh, phrase, I am. And you know, that's a really uh, famous phrase throughout the scripture. There's a point where Moses is talking to a burning bush, and uh, never done that myself, but Moses did. He talked to a burning bush, and and and. and and God tells Moses to go to Pharaoh and tell, let my people go and all the stuff that's going to happen. And, and, and Moses is trying to figure out a way out of this. He's trying to figure out an escape route. And he says, well, who, who do I tell people that you are? And, and finally, God said, I am that I am. That's who you tell them. That there's no one before me. There's no one after me. I created everything. I am. That's who I am. That's who you, what you tell them. And now Jesus as recorded in the Gospel of John, says, I am, that I'm the visible expression of God in the world, that I am the one, I am the creator. And so John records seven times in his Gospel, uh, seven I am statements that Jesus made about himself. He made statements like, I'm the bread of life, and he made statements like, I'm the light of the world. And, and this particular is the sixth statement that Jesus made about himself, and he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, that that's who I am. And if you want to know the way, and you want to know the truth, and you want to know life, then you look at me. It goes through me. So Jesus said, I am. He said, I'm the way. And again, in the language of the New Testament, it's a, it's a definite article which tells us that Jesus is saying that he's the only way, that the path, he's the route. Uh, the disciples had expressed their confusion about where he was going and, and how they could follow. And he said that from the beginning, Jesus is telling them to follow me. There's no other path to heaven. There's no other way to eternity except by following Jesus. And, and here's the thing that we talk about sometimes here at North is that I don't always know where I'm going, but I always know who I'm following. I always know the way because I'm following Jesus. It's not about having the, the mapped 
out. Thomas wanted a map. Thomas wanted a, you know, a Thomas guide. He wanted, maybe that's where we got Thomas guides. But Thomas wanted, uh, you know, Google search or something. He wanted it spelled out to him. He wanted to know where to turn left and where to turn right. And Jesus said, it's not about having rules. It's not about having those directions. It's all about knowing who you're following. We follow me. I'm the way. You want to know how to get there. It's through Jesus. It's by following him. Given everything that we have to follow in him. And this is really hard. And it's really frustrating because you don't, do I turn left or do I turn right? And Jesus says, you follow me. And do I stop here? Do I go here? Do I go over the mountain? Do I go by the, what do I do? And he says, you follow me. You put your eyes on me and you follow me. And that's how you get to where you really want to be. By following Jesus, he says, I am the way. And I'm the only way you're going to get where you really, really want to be in your life. And then he said, I am the truth. And, and, you know, we can, wow, sometimes we can just sort of cut this off there and, and, and you know, uh, do a search on how many people have done sermons on this verse. And you, you, you're surprised at how few there are because this is a tough one because it, the whole idea of truth has gotten so complicated and controversial. And, and, it, and here's what Jesus is saying is, you want to know the truth? It's me. It's not, it's not this truth and that truth and this idea and that idea and this rule and that rule and all those things. It's me. I'm the truth. Follow me. Put your eyes on me. Trust me for your direction. Trust me for your truth. If you begin to follow me, you'll begin to discover what truth is because I am the truth. Treat people the way I treat people. Love people the way I love people. Guide people the way I guide people and, and follow the truth that is Jesus. We want to we relegate truth to ideas and rules and Jesus says it's about a person. It's about who you're following. Jesus said he's the only truth. In Psalm 119, 142, it says your law is the truth. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus reminded his listeners of, uh, of several points of the law and then he said, I say to you that Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law. Yep, here's the law, but I say to you, do unto others. I say to you, love one another. I say to you, give more. I say all of these things that I, Jesus said, I didn't come to change the law, break the law. I came to fulfill the law. If you really want to live a righteous life, that I am the truth. Follow me. Live your life through me. Jesus said, in fact, he was going to fulfill the law and the, of the law and the, he came to fulfill the law and the prophets in Matthew 5, 17. That Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He is the truth. So when there's confusion about what's truth, what we have to look at, what we have to consider is Jesus. When we get sort of lost in all of the arguments and all the discussions about what's truth, we simply point back to Jesus. That he, he's the truth. And we know that that Jesus was honest about sin, but he was incredible in his love and his grace, that he held those things so beautifully. The third thing he said is that he's the life. 
Jesus has been telling his disciples about his impending death, about his death on the cross, about the betrayals, all of those things, uh, and yet he's the source of life. And isn't it fascinating that in John 10, Jesus has this dialogue with his disciples, and he talks about life. And in John 10, 10, he said, I came that you might have life and, and have it to the fullest. I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. And so he's told his disciples, if you follow me, you're going to have abundant life. You're going to have the best life. You're going to have the most meaningful life, the deepest life, all of those kinds of things. And now he's telling his disciples that I'm going to go and die. And maybe the disciples were a little bit thinking, okay, Lord, which is it? To which Jesus responds, yes, it's both. That for you to experience abundant life, I have to die. I give my life so that you can have life. And it's through Jesus that we have real life. It's through the cross that we experience real life. That's what he's promised us. That's what he gives us. And he promises us more than we can imagine. A fuller, richer life that's built on him being the way and him being the truth. And he's the one who gives us life. Thomas was looking for a map. Jesus says, follow me. We're all looking for what is truth. And Jesus said, look to me. We all desire in our heart, real life, abundant life, a full life. And Jesus says, it's through me. He's the way. Think about this. This is so fascinating that Jesus says that, that, that I'm the way. And while he's saying that, he knows that in a few hours, he's going to be led to a cross. And he's saying that I'm the truth, but at the same time he knows that in a few hours he's going to be falsely accused and lied about and, and he's not even going to, uh, to try to refute those lies that he's going to let those sit because he knows what he has to do. He knows where he has to go. And so yeah, he is at one point telling them, I am the truth, and yet he knows that he's going to be lied about. And then he says, I'm the life. And as he's saying that, he knows that he is on his way to die. And he's asking the disciples, hold those things in tension because those are the truth. And in order for there to be really real life, I'll die first, I'll rise again, and then you experience life in me. You experience the way, the truth, and the life through me. Jesus is declaring himself the great I am, the only path to heaven, the only true measure of right, righteousness, the source of both physical and spiritual life. He's staking his claim that he is the God of creation, uh, the Lord that blessed Abraham, the Holy One who habits eternity. Jesus is saying that I am he. I am, I am, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we know from Scripture that the disciples still didn't quite get it. They wouldn't get it completely until after the cross and after the resurrection. But once they understood the, his words, the truth of his words, once his disciples became changed people, they turned the world upside down. Following Jesus based on the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said in John 10.30 that I and the Father are one. So we always talk about the idea that if you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. He and the Father are one. And then he made this incredible statement in John 8, 32. He said, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
You see, we have this misconception um, about truth that often is that truth sort of hems us in. That truth is too narrow and too tight and I'm going to bang up against it and, and maybe I'm going to get truth to stretch out a little bit for me or maybe I've got to get out of that truth because that's not a truth that I'm comfortable with and, and truth often feels really too narrow. But here's the, here, here's the reality that when we are a follower of Jesus, that what Jesus says is that I created you for this truth. And when you walk in the truth of who Jesus is, you walk in the freedom that you were created for. You walk in the very way, in the very manner that I created you. And when you live your life the way God created you, you are free to live your life the way God wanted you to live it, the way God created you to live it. So if you want real freedom, real freedom comes from living our lives the way God created us to live our lives. Not by how we've construed some idea of truth, but it's how God created us to live. And we live in that truth, and he says, you are free. Free to operate the way that I created you. So how do we follow Jesus today? I think we do the same way the disciples did a long time ago. They heard the words of Jesus, they believed in him, they took his words, they obeyed them, they confessed their sins to Jesus as Lord and Savior, as God. They believed that he died for the, and take the punishment of their sins and he rose from the dead to give them new life. They followed his example and commands to tell others the truth about sin and righteousness and judgment. They followed his example to love one another as he had loved them. They set the bar high. They lived at such a high level of love that the world didn't know what to do with them. When we follow Jesus in the way, we can be assured that we're following him all the way to heaven, all the way to eternity. So if we want to know the truth this morning, we can explore the truth, but what we're really exploring is Jesus. We're exploring his teachings, his message, and what he did and how he taught us to live. The truth's a big deal to Jesus, and, and we live in a society and a culture that doesn't have a core of truth to live by, and he's calling us to live in a way that they can see the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. You know, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. And throughout history, when people have taken those words to heart, everything has changed. I read this great story. Uh, you remember early on in the first, second century, the, the early church, before they were called Christians, they were called people of the way or followers of the way. That's how they were known. That's how they were associated, that they were followers of Jesus. And, and I, we've talked about stories where uh, there were there were diseases and plagues that would just ravage whole countries and, and uh, that people were so afraid of uh, how they, contagious they were that they would take their own family members and just move them out into the street so that they weren't uh, caught and they weren't contagious so that they wouldn't get the disease and, and die themselves or people would die and they would just throw them out the windows of their house into the street. Well, what happened is that those who followed Jesus said, that's not what Jesus taught. He taught us to love one another as he's loved us. He taught us to give our lives uh, for others and so they would go out uh, with barrels and they would pick up these people. They would take the sick and the infirm and they would nurse them even at the cost of their own life. Uh, they would care for them and, and they began to be known for that. Well, in the fourth century, uh, there's an interesting quote 
by the emperor of the fourth century, uh, who's not a follower of Jesus, by the way. He was, a, uh, in fact, uh, he, he was an opponent of Christians. His name was Emperor Julian the Apostate. I'm not sure he gave himself that name, but history has given him the name, Julian the Apostate. And uh, he, uh, he criticized his pagan priests for not keeping up. Here's, here's what's quoted by uh, Julian. He says, I think that when the poor happen to be neglected and overlooked by our priests, the impious Galileans observed this and devoted themselves to benevolence. The impious Galileans support not only their poor, but ours as well, and everyone can see that our people lack aid from us. So here's what the emperor is saying. He's saying that the plague comes to our city, and everybody can see that our priests aren't doing anything. Our priests are as afraid as anybody else to, to serve the sick and to serve the poor, but these Christians, these followers of the way, they're going out of their way to care for people, even at the risk of their own lives, even at the cost of their own lives and everybody's watching it because they believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that they are full of grace and truth and so they follow him. There's another great story that, of a, uh, that took place in the 1860s and uh, another follower of Jesus, his name was Jean-Henri Dunant, and he couldn't stand the sound of soldiers crying out in the battlefield after they had been wounded. So this Swiss philanthropist said that he would devote his life to helping them in Jesus' name. And that started an organization in the 1860s that became known as the Red Cross. And every time you see the Red Cross, every time you see that Red Cross somewhere, you're seeing the thumbprint of Jesus because it was started way back then in his name, for his glory, from somebody who was a follower of the way and the truth and the life. Well, here's what I've learned over the years. To follow Jesus, to follow the way, the truth, and the life requires a couple of things. Uh, the first is it requires humility. To, to really follow Jesus requires humility. It, 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 requires, it requires us to say, I don't know the way. Jesus, I'm going to follow you. It, it requires us to say, I believe in you, Lord, and even though I don't know where this is going, I know who I'm following and I'm going to trust you. It requires us to submit ourselves to the Lordship of Christ, to submit ourselves to him. And sometimes it doesn't feel like we want it. Sometimes we don't like it, but are we living in submission to him? Are we really saying, I believe in you, Jesus? I'm giving my life to you. I'm submitting myself to you in humility. You see, if we come in pride and we're going to pick and choose, and I like this part of the truth, and I like this part of the truth, and I like that, and I like, but I don't like this stuff, and I'm not going to do this, and this doesn't fit in my lifestyle or doesn't fit in how I view society or whatever it is, then we're going to miss what Christ has to offer us. But he's saying, do you trust me? Do you believe in me? And we come in humility, trusting him. Not relying on our own understanding, but relying on who Jesus is and following him every day, that we come with that attitude. We come with humility. I've been doing, I've been at this a long time. I don't know, I'll tell you, the longer that I follow Jesus, the more I realize I need him. The more I recognize that without Christ, I'm lost. 
the, the, the deeper I go in my friendship and my following of Jesus, the more I recognize that this, I can't live this life without him. That he's more precious and he's more powerful and he's more loving than I ever dreamed years ago. And I need him all the more. And to follow Jesus means that we come in humility. Uh, we submit ourselves to him. And here's the second thing that I've learned is that it's a journey that you don't, and I've tried this, so I can tell you firsthand that you don't come to church on Sunday and then say, okay, all right, tomorrow, I'm going to be an amazing Christian, right? I'm going to be super follower of Jesus. Tomorrow's the day. And then tomorrow comes and maybe you say Tuesday, you know, I don't know. Maybe you just say, what happened? I forgot when I got up this morning. I don't know. But what, but it, what it is, it's committing to a journey it's committing to a journey of following Jesus and saying, Lord, I'm going to trust you and I'm, you're the way and I'm going to stay on the way and this is going to take my whole life. This is a journey that never ends until I'm with you and I'm going to stay on the journey. I wish there was a pill that we could just pass out that would make us all super Christians. I would buy two because I'd walk on water. That would be my goal, but still, just saying. But there isn't that he's called us to trust him and to be on this journey. Now, the fun of it for me is that we're on the journey together, that we get to walk together. And sometimes when I trip up a little bit or sometimes when I get a little bit nervous about the direction, I have you guys along the journey with me and we have each other. And that is such a gift and a blessing. So it requires those two things. It requires that we, it requires that we come in humility and recognizing that we're on a journey. I found this great uh, sort of paraphrase of John 14, 1 to 6 uh, from uh, Thomas Akempis, who wrote in the uh, 1400s. And I'd like to share it with you. Here's what Thomas Akempis says. Follow thou me. I am the way and the truth and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. I am the way which thou must follow, the truth which thou must believe, the life for which thou must hope. I am the inviolable way, the infallible truth, the never-ending life. I am the straightest way, the sovereign truth, life true, life blessed, life uncreated. So one of the great questions that we need to answer today as we explore truth is this am I willing to surrender to Jesus no matter what he says am I willing to submit my life to Jesus to the truth of who he is to the way to his life no matter how it feels or how I feel Am I willing to submit myself to him? Am I willing to come humbly before the Lord, regardless of how culture responds or regardless of how I feel at the moment? Am I willing to submit myself, surrender myself to him, no matter what he says? And if your answer is yes, I have a great idea. Talk to him. Tell him. You can tell me that's good, but tell Jesus and read about him, and talk about him, and grow, and learn about him. 
just want everything that you can possibly get about him in your life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this passage and, and for this idea, the way, the truth, and the life. And Lord, we know that we live in a world that needs desperately to understand you're the way and you're the truth and you're the life and you are the way to the Father. And Lord, I pray that our lives might be an example, our words might bring clarity. Uh, Lord, that we would be people of the way, followers of Jesus who live out our lives for your glory and for your honor. And Lord, we thank you for that. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. All the way my Savior leads me. What a great way to finish that God leads us. And there are so many ways. We don't always know the way, but we know the who, right? We know who we're following. Uh, we have prayer partners that will be, uh, uh, they're already there. In fact, they're there. If you'd like prayer this morning, uh, I would invite you uh, to take advantage of that. What a gift to have folks that will pray with you and for you. Uh, and then also, as always, our prayer table, you can write your request down and we'd love to pray with you uh, during the week and we'll be faithful to do that. So take advantage of those opportunities. My um, prayer is simply this, that, uh, that we would set our hearts and our minds on Jesus, that we would follow the way, that we would become people of the way, trusting him to be the way, the truth, and the life in our lives. I love you guys. Have a great day. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.